everybody and welcome to the Homewrecker podcast. It's me, it's me, it's Alex and I'm joined as always by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely Monique. Monique, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm getting better. Yes, you are. Yes, better a little bit every day. That's the goal anyhow. Mm -hmm. We've been having some illnesses running through the family. And uh, I think it's our body's ways of saying you need to stop and slow down and get some rest. It's something. I don't know. Mm. Anywho. Well, I'm, I'm on the mend. But anyway, I'm excited about today's show because today's show is exactly why we started this podcast, <laughs> I feel. Especially lately, talking about the things that you should you should be careful about who you trust, right? Yes. That That's that's what you've decided to title this show. Yes. And, and I think it's perfect. But before we get into it, because I, I want to jump right in, but before we do get into it, let's get rid of some housekeeping. We'll do some of that, and then we'll get right into the, the nitty gritty here. For anyone new listening, I am a certified hypnotherapist. I'm also a certified stress management consultant, and I like to hold group sessions. I try to do it on a monthly basis. I will be taking a break over the holiday season. So I have one this month in October, one in November. I'm going to take December and possibly January off. But for October 21st, that is a Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern time, I will be holding a group past life regression hypnotherapy session. That's awesome. These group sessions are a really fun way to try hypnotherapy and especially past life regressions, which tend to be more money. Um, it's more than my general session and a lot of other hypnotherapists charge more because we spend more time in it. And there's a lot that happens because you regress back to early childhood. Then you go back to the time you were in your mother's womb as a fetus. And then you, from there you go into a past life. And not only do you get to explore past lives, but you also get to learn if there's something that happened in that past life that could be affecting this life. It could be something we need to make a change on. It could be something cool that you brought over like a gift or ability. There's a lot of different stuff that we can do during this session. Now, granted, it's not a one-on-one, -on -one, so it's slightly limited, but there's still a lot that can be done to improve your life if that's needed or just have fun exploring. And when I did a group past life regression session um, for myself, I actually went back to before I incarnated on earth, which was really cool because you can set your intention about what you want to learn during the regression. I wanted to know more about why I am the way I am. So, I mean, 
who knows what can happen, but it's a fun experience and it's a fraction of a fraction of a cost of what it is for a regular past life regression session. So go to innerstandingshypnosis.com, click on group sessions and click on the button to sign up. You want to do so. I think the last day to sign up is two days before. And the session again is Saturday, October 21st, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And also, if you're interested in Organite, a tarot reading, homemade beeswax candles, crystals, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. All right. Let's get right into the the show. Yeah. So I started this research last year and there's a lot. I'm going to start with the first one I did, the Tuskegee Syphilis Study. So for those of you who don't know much about syphilis, it's a bacterial infection that usually spreads by sexual contact. The disease starts as a painless sore, typically on the genitals, rectum, or mouth, and syphilis spreads from person to person via skin or mucous membrane contact with these sores. And after the initial infection, the syphilis bacteria can remain inactive in the body for decades before becoming active again. Early syphilis can be cured sometimes with a single injection of penicillin, and I'm sure there's herbal remedies as well. But without treatment, syphilis can severely damage the heart, the brain, or other organs, and can be life-threatening. Syphilis can also be passed from mothers to their unborn children. So in regards to the Tuskegee syphilis study, this is a quick timeline of what happened according to the CDC. In 1932, the U.S. Public Health Service, USPHS, was working with the Tuskegee Institute, and they began a study to record the natural history of syphilis. It was originally called the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male, now referred to as the USPHS Syphilis Study at Tuskegee. The study initially involved 600 black men, 399 with syphilis, 201 who did not have the disease. Participants' informed consent was not collected. So basically, What's informed consent? They were informed about what was going on and they gave their consent to it. So they were informed? No, that did not happen. Okay. It was not I, collected. Okay. So nobody asked them if they were okay be taking a part in this study. No, because researchers told the men that they were being treated for quote unquote bad blood, a local term used to describe several ailments, including syphilis, anemia, and fatigue. In exchange for taking part in the study, the men received free medical exams, free meals, and burial insurance. Okay, so hold on a second. You said there was, was it 399 men that With had- With syphilis and 200 now- who- 201 who did not have it. Okay, so they took men that already had syphilis? Mm-hmm. Okay, they didn't infect them with syphilis? Or are we getting to that? Let's get through everything. Okay. By 1943, penicillin was the treatment of choice for syphilis and becoming widely available, but participants in this study were not offered treatment. In 1972, an associated press story about the study was published. As a result, the assistant secretary for Health and Scientific Affairs appointed an ad hoc advisory panel to review the study. The advisory panel concluded that the study was, quote, unquote, ethically unjustified. That is, the results were disproportionately meager compared to the known risks to the human subjects involved. You think? Yeah. In October 1972, the panel advised stopping the study. 
Uh, In March of 1973, the panel was advised that the Secretary of the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, HEW, now known as the Department of Health and Human Services, they were to instruct the USPHS to provide all necessary medical care for the survivors of the study. And the Tuskegee Health Benefit Program was established to provide these services. In 1975, participants' wives, widows, and children were added to the program. In 1995, the program expanded to include health as well as medical benefits. The last study participant died in January of 2004. The last widow receiving the benefits died in January of 2009. Participants' children, tenant present when this article was written, continued to receive medical and health benefits. And later in 1973, a class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of the study's participants and their families, resulting in a $10 million out-of-court settlement in 1974. And on May 16th of 1997, President Bill Clinton issued a formal presidential apology for the study. So... That, that right there should tell you there was a lot of stuff messed up, and we're going to get into that next. But I, I want to say with the stuff... We're, so many questions. I know. With the stuff we're going over, a lot of these things that happened were settled in, like, civil court lawsuits that that's how they, I guess, dealt with a lot of these different experimentations that were we done. We ruined your life, but here's some money. Yeah. That'll make it better. Yeah. We, we gave you horrible diseases and whatnot, but we'll give you some medical medical care for it now. So let's get on to the de- details. Please. So this is an article by McGill.ca. Starting in 1932, 600 African-American men from Macon County, Alabama, were enlisted to partake in a scientific experiment on syphilis. Did you say Macon? 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 Macon. Is it M-A-C-O-N? Macon? Macon. Like Bacon, Macon? Okay, Macon County. The Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis and the Negro Male was conducted by the United States Public Health Service, as we had mentioned, and it involved blood tests, x-rays, spinal taps, and autopsies of the subjects. Jeez. The goal was to, quote-unquote, observe the natural history of untreated syphilis in black populations. But the subjects were unaware of this and were simply told they were receiving treatment for bad blood. They actually received no treatment at all. Even after penicillin was discovered as a safe and reliable cure for syphilis, the majority of men did not receive it. To really understand the heinous nature of the Tuskegee experiment requires some societal context and a lot of history and a realization of just how many times government agencies were given a chance to stop this human experimentation but didn't. In 1865, the ratification of the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution formally ended the enslavement of black Americans. But by the early 20th century, the cultural and medical landscape of the U.S. was still built upon and inundated with racist concepts. Social Darwinism was rising, predicated on the survival of the fittest and quote-unquote scientific racism, which is a pseudoscientific practice of using science to reinforce racial biases, and that was common. Many white people already thought themselves superior to blacks, and science and medicine was all too happy to reinforce this hierarchy. Before the ending of slavery, scientific racism was used to justify the African slave trade. Scientists argued that African men were uniquely fit 
for enslavement due to their physical strength and simple minds. They argued that the slaves possessed primitive nervous systems and did not experience pain as white people did. Enslaved African Americans in the South were claimed to suffer from mental illness at rates lower than their free northern counterparts, thereby proving that enslavement was good for them. And the slaves who ran away were said to be suffering from their own mental illness known as drapetomania. There's like so much there that I... That's so wrong. Just want to... It's like... Get a time machine? Yeah, like what? Yeah. It's... (sighs) I just want to say, hearing the stuff that's done to people, this could be very upsetting. So if you find what you're hearing upsetting... Feel free to shut it off, take a break, but know that it's important to talk about these things because we don't want history to repeat itself. It's too late for that. True. So during and after the American Civil War, African-Americans were argued to be a different species from white Americans and mixed race children were presumed prone to many medical issues. Doctors of the time testified that the emancipation of slaves has caused the mental, moral and physical deterioration of the black population, observing that virtually free of disease as slaves, they were now overwhelmed by it. Many people believe that the African-Americans were doomed to extinction extinction i can't say it extinct extinction thank you and arguments were made about their physiological being unsuited for the colder climates of america thus they should be returned to africa scientific and medical authorities of the late 19th and early 20th centuries held extremely harmful pseudoscientific ideas specifically about the sex drives and genitals of african americans it was widely believed that the brains of African-Americans were under-evolved, their genitals were overdeveloped. Black men were seen to have an intrinsic perversion for white women, and all African-Americans were seen as inherently immoral with insatiable sexual appetites. I just want to say, wow. Interrupting the article, like, wow. There's wow. so much wrong. So <laughs> much wrong with this. Like, like, wow. This all matters because it was these understandings of race, sexuality, and health that researchers undertook the Tuskegee study. They believed largely due to their fundamentally flawed scientific understandings of race that black people were extremely prone to sexually transmitted diseases like syphilis. Low birth rates and high miscarriage rates were universally blamed on sexually transmitted diseases. They also believed that black people, regardless of their education, background, economic, or personal situations could not be convinced to get treatment for syphilis. Thus, the USPHS could justify the Tuskegee study, calling it a quote-unquote study in nature rather than an experiment meant to simply observe the natural progression of syphilis within a community that wouldn't seek treatment. So nice of them to assume, huh? Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, well, yeah. The USPHS set their study in Macon County due to estimates that 35% of its population was infected with syphilis. In 1932, the initial patients between the ages of 25 and 60 were recruited under the guise of receiving free medical care for bad blood, a colloquial term encompassing anemia, syphilis, fatigue, and other conditions. Told that the treatment would only last six months, they received physical examinations x-rays, spinal taps, and when they died, autopsies. Researchers faced a lack of participants 
due to fears that the physical examinations were actually for the purpose of recruiting them to the military. Well, I don't blame them there. Yeah, right. To assuage these fears, doctors began examining women and children as well. Men diagnosed with syphilis who were of the appropriate age were recruited for the study while others received proper treatments for their syphilis. And at the time, these were commonly mercury or arsenic-containing medicines. That's safe. Yeah. In 1933, researchers decided to continue the long-term study. They recruited 200-plus control patients who did not have syphilis. Simply switching them to the syphilis positive group if at any time they developed it. They also began giving all patients ineffective medicines, things like ointments or capsules with two small doses of, I'm going to try to say this, neoarsphenamine or mercury to further their belief that they were being treated. So we're going to give you some mercury. There you go. Jeez. As time progressed, however, patients began to stop attending their appointments. To greater incentivize them to remain part of the study, the USPHS hired a nurse named Eunice Rivers to drive them to and from their appointments, provide them with hot meals, and deliver their medicines, services especially valuable to subjects during the Great Depression. Sound familiar? Oh, my gosh. Free donuts. Free French fries. Free French fries. In an effort to ensure the autopsies of their test subjects the researchers also began covering patients funeral expenses oh well isn't that nice of them this is unbelievable yeah multiple times throughout the experiment researchers actively worked to ensure that their subjects did not receive treatment for syphilis In 1934, they provided doctors in macon county with lists of their subjects and asked them not to treat them that's messed up so wait a second they provided lists to other doctors? They contacted these, these, the people in the study, they contacted their doctors and t- asked the doctors not to treat them for syphilis. Wait, wait, wait. Hold, hold on. The way, what you just said made it sound like the people that were in this study, yeah. unknowingly partaking in this study, contacted their own doctors. No, the researchers. Okay, so the researchers yes. who are conducting experiments on these people in the study, these unknowing participants. Yeah. They gave the doctors lists of the participants and they said, if these are your patients, do not treat them. And the doctors just went along with it? Like what? I don't know. Hippocratic oath, anyone? mm -hmm, That comes up, up a lot here. Oh my God. In 1940, they did the same with the Alabama Health Department. In 1941, many of the men were drafted and had their syphilis uncovered by the entrance medical exam. So the researchers had the men removed from the army rather than let their syphilis be treated. Are you freaking kidding Uh me? Again, this is just horrible. It was in these Uh. moments that the Tuskegee study's true nature became clear. Rather than simply observing and documenting the national natural progression of syphilis in the community as it had been planned, the researchers intervened, first by about telling participants that they were being treated, which was a lie, then again by preventing their participants from seeking treatment that could save their lives. Thus, the original basis for the study that the people of Macon County like, would likely not seek treatment, thus could be observed as their syphilis progressed, became a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
The Henderson Act was passed in 1943 requiring tests and treatments for venereal diseases to be publicly funded, and by 1947, penicillin had become the standard treatment for syphilis, prompting the USPHS to open several rapid treatment centers specifically to treat syphilis with penicillin, all while they were actively preventing 399 men from receiving the same treatments. By 1952, however, about 30% of the participants had received penicillin anyway, despite their researchers' best efforts. Good for them. Regardless, the USPHS argued that their participants wouldn't seek penicillin or stick to the prescribed treatment plans. They claimed that their participants, all black men, were too, quote unquote, stoic to visit a doctor. In truth, these men thought they were already being treated. So why would they seek out further treatment? Right. The researchers' tune changed again as time went on. In 1965, they argued that it was too late to give the subjects penicillin as their syphilis had progressed too far for the drug to help. While a convenient justification for their continuation of the study, penicillin is and was recommended for all stages of syphilis and could have been stopped and could have stopped the disease's progression in the patient. So they argued, oh, well, it's too late now, even though it wasn't. In 1947, the Nuremberg Code was written. And in 1964, the World Health Organization published their Declaration of Helsinki. Both aimed to Helsinki. Pro- sorry, Helsinki. Both aimed to protect humans from experimentation. But despite this, the Centers for Disease Control, which had taken over from the USPHS in controlling the study, actively decided to continue the study as late as 1969. It wasn't until a whistleblower, Peter Buxton, leaked information about the study to the New York Times and the paper published it on the front page on November 16, 1972, that the Tuskegee study finally ended. By this time, only 74 of the test subjects were still alive. Jesus. 128 patients died <sighs> of syphilis or its complications. 40 of their wives had been infected, and 19 of their children had acquired congenital syphilis. There was a mass public outrage, and the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People launched, launched a class action lawsuit against the USPHS. It settled the suit two years later for $10 million and agreed to pay medical treatments of all surviving participants and infected family members, the last of who died in 2009. What, what really, I know you're not done yet, but I'm just, that's it. They got paid. That's it. And their, and their health is, is now being taken care of now. Yeah. Where's well, how the about, punishment? How about, all the, how about all the people that died? Why weren't every one of those researchers strung up in the street? Right. God. Oh my. Uh, the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop right. myself from going on a tangent. Uh, yeah, right I'm, I'm going to stop myself too. Go ahead and continue. Largely in response to the Tuskegee study, Congress passed the National Research Act in 1974 and the Office for Human Research Protections was established within the USPHS. Obtaining informed consent from all study participants became required for all research on humans with this process overseen by the institutional review boards with within academia and hospitals. The Tuskegee study has had lasting effects on America. It's estimated that the life expectancy of black men fell by up to 1.4 years when the study's details came to light. 
Many also blame the study for impacting the willingness of black individuals to willingly participate in medical research today. I have to say I wouldn't. I wouldn't be participating. You wonder why people are are skeptical of, of those things. Yeah. Jeez. We all know about the evil, this is still in the article, we all know about evil Nazis who experimented on prisoners. We condemn the scientists in Marvel movies who carry out tests on prisoners of war. But we do well to remember that America has also used its own people as lab rats. Yet to this day, no one has been prosecuted for their role in dooming 399 men to syphilis. And their death... And not just them, but their wives, hey, hey, their hey, children. Hey, they, they pay for the medical benefits and the autopsies and the yeah, funerals. Give me a, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to not use colorful language, mm-hmm. but come on. Like th- that, that to me is the most, ups- I mean, all of it's upsetting, but the fact that when they get found out and it's only because they, it got published in the newspaper. By a whistleblower. That, that's the only reason that any nobody before then stepped forward and said, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. This is why I have such a problem with people that claim they're medical experts and scientists and this and that. Because they don't care about people. They don't care about anybody. They just care about what they're saying and being right. And they, they just want to do experimentation. It doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter if it causes human suffering. It doesn't None of that matters to these people. They think they're superior because they think that, oh, I've got letters after my name, so I'm an expert. And it doesn't matter if you're, it doesn't matter who you are. You're not a, you're not a scientist, so you're not an expert. So your opinion, your life, your family, they don't matter. What matters is me getting my study, getting my funding for my vaccine or my whatever, my new drug. My what? It's the uh, fact that just people actually so beyond angry right now thought it was okay to think that somebody of a different color wouldn't feel pain like they do, that their minds aren't developed, that all the horrible things that they said. To actually, if you truly believed that. like, what is wrong with you? Like, Well, to- okay, taking color out of it. I mean, this is not, it's not, I, I realized that that was the, beings. I realized that was the basis for this because of the, we'll call it, we'll call it ignorance, but you have to remember at the time, and I'm not justifying this at all, please let me preface that. But at the time back then, this is the, this was the prevailing belief where you, you still had people that whose ancestors had fought in the civil war. Mm-hmm. So you still have that. It, it takes generations for this stuff to get cleaned I, I up. I get that. But the point is there's still human beings. Of and course. for one human being to do that to another, regardless of anything. Right. That that's is my, yeah, just that's, cruel. That's my point. I mean, it doesn't matter. Taking color out of it doesn't matter. You don't do that to you another You don't do that to another being. human. It's, it's just uh, to sit there and lie to them and tell them, oh, yeah, we're treating you for, for syphilis and so, not. Like, what? So with and just allowing them to I, I'm with sorry. the stuff just, we're gonna go over, you're gonna see a common thread of that: people not being informed, people not giving consent, people being lied to about what was going on. There's a lot of that that happens in these experimentations or studies, as they like to call it. And and the thing with with a lot of this stuff is too. You, you said before what the last just just some of the children are still alive now, yeah. so. 
all this information that comes, I mean, yeah, granted it was published back in the seventies and everything, but I mean, were the details, all of the details published back then? Did we know everything that was going on or just parts of it? And we've, we're getting more and more of, of the information now because so many of these people are gone. Well, remember the people involved, they're only, they only know what they're told. So they know what they're being told and what they're experiencing. And I think it's important that, you know, victims of that keep their families, keep sharing these stories about what happened because I can, I can also see, I I know what you're saying, but I could also see these, these ancestors, the children, the wives, whatever also, I can also see them not wanting to talk about it because they're so angry and just wanted to put, put it behind them. I get that. Yeah. I I can see that too. But you got to call people out on their shit too. Oh, hundred percent. That's the, the most upsetting, upsetting thing to me about, well, all of it's upsetting. So I'm not going to say the most upsetting thing. It's all upsetting. But the fact that nobody was held accountable, were, were, were names given of, of researchers because you would think that, that something would have happened to them criminally. You know, okay, Bill Clinton apologized. Big freaking deal. Who cares about some some dude, uh, some figurehead a apologizing? A presidential apology means jack That means shit. nothing. It means absolutely yes. nothing. These people, these researchers, these scientists, I'll even go so far as to say the doctors of these 399 men who were contacted by the researchers. Who didn't, who, who chose not who to Who chose them. not to treat them after being asked not to because they're being part of an experiment. What What is that? That's why I get, that's why I don't trust doctors at all. Mm. I will never go to the doctor again unless I've got a broken bone and, or I need some kind of a, a major surgery or something. I will never go to a doctor for general health again. That's, that's on me because these people do not care about you. And that right there proves it. I'm sorry. Like I, I'm, that's, I'm just. And kind of going off topic, but it wow. kind of matters with what you said. So I just saw an article the other day about some, I don't know if it was like a website or a group uh, you know those dog DNA things? So you send DNA to find out what breed your dog is? That no, they, but I'm sure yeah. that, okay. When I worked in veterinary dermatology, we would use that. Okay. Well, apparently the, this group sent out human DNA tests and it came back. They were different breeds of dog. So when you think about the DNA testing that's out there, I think a lot of it is crap because you can't really believe it. Like, like how do you know it's real? Yeah, and, I've never, I've never partaken in any nope. of that stuff. At all. I mean, I know the, pe- I know people that have. Mm-hmm. And, no, I know, but it's but like it's, you blindly trust. You're trusting just the some, science yeah. when it's not necessarily there or highly flawed. Exactly. Exactly. You're just sending in like, what, what is it? Like you spit in a tube or something? Is that how they Yeah. Do or it? like you swab the inside of your cheek. It, it's, it's one of those deals. And how, how do you know? <laughs> and you're just sending it in the mail. Yeah. I mean, you could set, it could be going to somebody's. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. So, so <laughs> you it's know, like, it's, I how don't can know, you really right? you trust? Can't, you can't trust any of this stuff, but people do. And yeah, I, I, yeah. Again, just, do your research. It, do your research. Once again, you're blindly blindly putting your trust into somebody who has a bunch of letters after the name because mm-hmm. they went to college for a bunch of years and read a bunch of books and passed a bunch of tests, mm-hmm. and now they think they're smarter than you and they think that power over you, and they only have power because you give it to them, exactly. ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. That's the only reason. If you if you refuse to listen to these people, to go see these people for anything, that's why we, we all collectively as a society need to take back our health. Yeah. It's on us to be healthy. And we did an episode, if you want to go back, knowing your medical rights- we did an episode on that talking about patient rights. So go back, listen to that. And again, do your own research. Absolutely. Why don't we get into the next one? 
So, uh, wow. I, I, you know, and here I have to say, before we get out of this too, I read all, all of this research you did and it's still upsetting just hearing it again. Yeah. It's just, it's. It's different like saying it out loud compared to like reading it with your yeah, eyes. It's, it, it's tough. So next we're going to talk about the Stateville Penn Malaria Study. The Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study was conducted by the United States government in the 1940s at Stateville Penitentiary, which is located in Illinois. It involved over 400 prisoners who were illegally infected with malaria and subjected to studies. The goal was to test experimental drugs in an effort to find a cure for the disease. In addition, the tests were administered and documented solely by the prisoners themselves. Not only were they the patients, but they were also the proctors. The prisoners also decided which of them would take part in the experiment. The testing process counted toward their sentence and allowed some to serve much less time. The prisoners would also choose who was eligible to receive a reduced sentence. However intriguing this may have been for the prospective patients, the experimental drugs often had irreversible side effects. One of the most famous prisoners involved in the experiment was Nathan Leopold, who many may recognize from the Leopold and Loeb murder case in 1924. He said prisoners dealt with the horrifying side effects without complaint. Despite the immorality of this experiment, it was praised by many for the benefits that it would create for society. Citizens saw it as a sacrifice to find the cure for malaria at the prisoner's expense. So I got to say, they were, the, they, were, they were patients and proctors, so they're experimenting on themselves basically, mm -hmm. right? Because that's a good idea. Yeah, and, but they didn't know what they were experimenting on themselves for or with. They're just like, okay, here, you know, they're sitting in their prison cell or, or wherever they're at, and they come in and say, here you go, take this, take this swab and stick it in your cheek or whatever they're, whatever they're doing, and they have no idea what they're doing. It's unbelievable to me, but, but, the, but they dangle the carrot, we'll reduce your prison sentence, we'll offer you this, or whatever, whatever they do to, to incentivize these, these guys. And, of course, there's people probably listening who are saying, well, yeah, but they're in prison, so who cares? Do you remember that, like, growing up, a lot of times people would say, don't test on animals, test on prisoners. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. I do remember that. And, yeah, it seems fine in theory, but when you start hearing about these types of tests, it's not necessarily like, oh, testing makeup and stuff. Like, there's a lot of messed up stuff that is being tested on people. But but regardless, what if the what if people in the prison are, what if, because, I, I mean, come on now, especially if you look at what most people are in prison for nowadays, mm -hmm. it's like, it's we, we, we put them in prison for that? Yeah. Now, okay, you could say, well, if somebody that was in there for murder, rape, whatever, sure. it, it was overwhelming evidence, but, but is it really, you say sure, but is it really okay to be doing these kinds of tests? Sarcasm. Oh, I, well, I don't know. I, I don't, no, I can't but tell the thing is, sarcastic. especially if it's not informed consent you're they're not informed and they're not giving consent that's that's what i mean like it where do we draw the line apparently there is no line they just they they say there is but it's an imaginary line and they it's uh, it, it, all this stuff is just very upsetting to to hear about and again further makes me not trust the medical establishment 
science, trusting the science, all that nonsense, all these these things that you hear makes me not trust any of it mm-hmm. at all, ever. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I never will. Yeah. Well, why don't we stop here for a moment and take a break? T- take a couple of deep breaths. Yeah. And then uh, deep and, cleansing and, breaths. Yes. And, and we will be right back. Hey, you. Yes, you. Are you looking for a new podcast that appeals to your scientific curiosity, but is also a little bit spooky? Show me how I died in a past life. Well, look no further, because this cat is where it's at. He had concerns about the ethics surrounding AI, feeling they had achieved consciousness. Curious Cat Podcast examines the shadowy space where science and the supernatural collide. Listen every week with your host, Jennifer Holtz, as she and her guests explore what it means to be a soul in a meat suit. We were healing karma together. They were all kind of predestined to to resolve something. Listen on all your favorite streaming apps and continue the conversation on Twitter at CuriousCatPodCA or find Jennifer and all her links at Jennifer L. Holtz, spelled H-O-T, es.com Let's get into the next case. Yeah. This is about the Navy sponsored beef blood transfus- transfusion. This is oh. Edward Cohn, a biochemist working at Harvard University, conducted an experiment in 1942 with sponsorship by the US Navy. The Navy contacted Cohn to engage in his in the secret project to discover a possible biological weapon. His work involved injecting prisoners with cow blood in an effort to detect a protein that could be used in the event of an upcoming war. The 64 subjects who were injected with with the cow blood all suffered catastrophic effects, including uh, ending in death. Well, yeah, you're putting cow blood into you. It doesn't blend with our blood. Although this government experiment ended in failure, it was soon learned from Cohn's methods that the true way to identify the protein was not in cow blood, but in human blood. So basically, they should have, they found what they were looking for, not because of the cow blood, but because of the human blood. So it was something that kind of could have been prevented. But again, Harvard University biochemist working with the Navy. And did anything happen to this cone Doing character? This to not that I could of find. Of course not. Of course not. Nope. Not that I could find. I, again, I'm doing my best just to, to, to keep my language clean because I feel like we could reach more people mm. if, if, if the, if the language is a little cleaner. He's, he's telling me not to swear. I, I'm, <laughs> I, well, and and uh, I, if anybody who's listened to us in the past is wondering why I'm not losing my mind to drop an F-bomb after F-bomb, and that's why. I'm trying my best, ladies and gentlemen, to maintain my composure. Let's talk about plutonium testing in the 1940s, Ooh. shall we? During the mid-1940s, the United States was busy with the Manhattan Project, the effort to create the atomic bomb. Britain and the Soviets, too, were experimenting with atomic weaponry because the effects of radiation were largely unknown. The government spent years studying them, including with experimenting on its own citizens. Imagine that. What? That never happens. 
plutonium is one of the many radioactive materials the government used in these types of tests. Patients would receive doses of radioactive plutonium in the form of injections. A majority of these patients were terminally ill, which made the results of the experiment difficult to fully understand. They were never told what was being done to them, partly because the word plutonium remained a government secret until after World War II. Although most of the patients did not die from effects of the plutonium injections, the government's secrecy and willingness to subject its own citizens to such experiments raised suspicion from many. So, so we have the government. So they're injecting. Now, think about this. They're trying to figure out the effects of radiation. Mm-hmm. So if, say, a, a nuclear bomb explodes, this is what they're trying to figure out, right? Mm-hmm. The, the effects of radiation. By inhaling radi- nuclear radiation, I, I, I presume that's how gets in your skin, it gets right? in, your, in your skin, right? Uh, or, or in your lungs or whatever. They're injecting it into people. So like, it, I, I, I'm just. So again, these people don't uh, know what they're, what's happening to them. And they're, ju- and of course these, these jerks, see, I caught myself. I was going to say something else, but these jerks are, are injecting people, terminally ill patients. And that's how they're justifying it. Well, they're going to die anyway, so we might as well, but they still don't get their informed consent. They still don't let these people know what they're injecting them with. They don't tell them, they don't tell their families. They, they get no consent whatsoever. And of course it comes out later and people say, well, they were, they were trying, they, they were helping because they were trying to figure out and the government was just trying to make sure that it was okay. And, and what would happen if it's people justify these things and they go round and round till they come to the conclusion that they want so they can feel better. But the bottom line is you're harming people mm-hmm. against their will. You're knowingly harming people. It's just wrong. There's just no way to justify it. Next. During World War II, the U.S. government conducted many experiments on its own soldiers to test the efficiency. Efficacy. Thank you. Of gas masks and protective clothing. It is estimated that nearly 60,000 human Americans were used during the studies, mostly ethnic European. However, many Japanese and African Americans were also used to identify any possible skin differences with the experiment. There were several different tests used to determine the strength of such protective clothing in both gas chambers and the field. Field tests involved releasing chemicals into an open area outdoors, using human subjects to test particular clothing items and monitor the effects of the chemicals that had uh, nature such as on animals, water quality, etc. There was also evidence that some of the soldiers were not offered any protective gear or clothing at all. In chamber tests, troops wore the masks and clothing and stood in the deadly gases from one to four hours. The tests were repeatedly da- were done repeatedly daily using the same people as subjects until they exhibited dangerous reactions to their exposure. So, so let's keep testing them till something happens. Yeah, and don't be happy with the fact that they stayed in there for a week or whatever, and they nothing happened. the The suits and the masks did what they were designed to. Keep them in there until they actually fail. Now, <laughs> what the. F- Anyone who served in the military, in the U.S. military, I have friends and family who have. One of the 
things they always say is, yeah, like they give you shots. Like you don't even know what you're getting because when you sign up for the military, you're agreeing to do all that. You are property of the United States military. Yeah. That's and what so it comes down to. Yeah. Like one of my friends said, yeah, like always like, oh, hey, we're going to give you this. What is it? Don't worry about it. There you go. So it's experimentation. But because these people signed up for the military, it's okay to use them as test subjects. And again, that is wrong. And I get, you know, again, people are going to say, but the science, we need to learn so we can find ways to, you know, make us safe. But it's like, at least now. We were safe before people started inventing this crap. Exactly. And putting it out there to use against other people Mm -hmm. under the guise of war. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what this all comes down to, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. We got to figure out if it's safe because we have this stuff and we want to use it on our enemies. We just want to make sure that it's safe for us. Like what? Hey, I have a knife and it's great at cutting things. Let me stab you with it and see what it does. Let's talk about Operation Sea Spray from 1950, shall we? Let's. In September 1950, the United States Army was involved in a secretive experiment to test the possibility of biological warfare near the West Coast. They did so by releasing biological weapons into the streets of San Francisco to test their effects. They released a type of bacteria to gain information on how it would affect the population. This was done without the citizens' consent. By the end of Operation Sea Spray, six different biological warfare tests had been performed on the residents of San Francisco. These releases killed many people and hurt several more. The government then concluded that it is very likely for a coastal city to be affected by such warfare. One of the many deaths caused by this experiment was Edward Nevin, He died after bacteria from the government testing spread from his urinary tract to his heart. Other cases soon followed him, but many were cured after long, torturous days in the hospital. They concluded after infecting everybody that, oh yeah, they could be infected. No kidding. Wow, wow. Thanks. Thanks for that. Hey, yeah. Thanks for that helpful conclusion. This does make you sick and kill you. Thanks for that, guys. Good job, government. Next, let's talk about Operation Big Buzz slash Yellow Fever slash Mosquitoes. This catastrophic experiment conducted by the U.S. government in 1955 may not seem as harmful as it was. The government released millions of Aedes aegypti mosquitoes known to carry yellow fever into Georgia parks. The bugs quickly dispersed into the suburbs, as they would. The goal was to determine how effective insects could be in biological warfare by tracking biting habits on citizens. So basically, they want to see, like, how much could happen with these mosquitoes biting people? How fast can it spread? How, how many people can they bite? Although these mosquitoes weren't infected with yellow fever, the government still tested the potential for biological warfare by experimenting on its own citizens, with the people of Savannah, Georgia being the target. It is also recorded that the government officials disguised themselves as healthcare officials in order to effectively record the mosquito bites and track their locations. 
Many other experiments similar to Operation Big Buzz were also performed, such as Operation Dropkick and Operation Big Itch. Operation Dropkick is, a, is very similar in that they both tested mosquitoes in Georgia. Operation Big Itch involved the government releasing fleas into the public to study their biting habits and travel habits. Like the goal for Operation Big Buzz, Operation Big Itch was meant to determine how effective fleas would be in spreading diseases in biological warfare. All of these studies show the government's determination for developing advanced biological warfare methods. And don't forget, the U.S. government also admitted to creating Lyme disease as a bioweapon, which, quote unquote, escaped, infecting so many, and yet they still do not offer proper and accurate testing for individuals. Yeah, that's a little sore subplot for me with the Lyme disease. According to newspunch.com, an article that they published said, honest doctors and scientists who tried to treat or research Lyme disease according to ethical principles have been viciously persecuted by government-backed organizations in the U.S., Europe, and elsewhere. Many specialists in the U.S. were threatened with loss of their license or had anonymous false allegations sent to the medical board, which tied them up in mountains of paperwork and legal fees. Some were forced out of medicine or even driven to suicide. Instead, medical disinformation agents, most of whom have a background in military biowarfare units such as Dr. Alan Steer, Mark Kempler, Kempler I'm going to try this again, Klempner, Philip Baker, Edward McSwegan, De- David Dennis, and Alan Barber and more were enabled to assume top positions in Lyme research, the CDC, the NIH, and et cetera, from where they issued false information covering up the true seriousness and chronic nature of the diseases and condemned untold numbers to a living hell. And that's the end of the article. So it wouldn't be shocking or even slightly surprising. Like we know all this stuff happened and it's come out like this is all true and it's not, it doesn't even shock me anymore. It disgusts me, but it doesn't shock me. No, none of this stuff shocks me. It's, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's just disgusting. And, and the fact that these, these are the people that you, like you just said, these are people that hold top positions in these, they in the World Health Organization, the NIH, the CDC, all these, these bodies that are, that are supposed to be for our health, for the greater good. The greater that. good. Sorry, yeah. going back to. Uh, yeah. But that's what all these people, they, they all hold top positions there. And what are they doing? They're making life hell yeah. for the people, the good doctors out there that actually want to help people, that actually want to treat people. They're sitting there and they're causing pain for them. They're, 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 they're false allegations. They're, they're, they're causing them to spend money on lawsuits, tying them up in court, mm-hmm. ruining their reputations for, for what? Because they're doing what they're the Hippocratic Oath tells them to do, which is to do no harm, to, to help their patients. Like, what's going on here? We know people who have been hospitalized due to Lyme disease. I went through so much with my Lyme disease where I wasn't even believed by doctors. Like, you know, basically being told it's psychosomatic. And when we finally started seeing a naturopath and she's the one who realized it's Lyme. F- figured out you have Lyme, yeah. 
it's like the testing for it is a joke with regular labs. You had to go to a, like I had to test at a certain place in California, you know, send my labs out there to get a definitive answer. And I truly believe it's because the government doesn't want to be accountable for Lyme disease. Could you imagine the class action lawsuit there? Mm-hmm. And it's if, just a matter of time coming. They already admitted it was an accident, but when are they going to start being accountable for these actions? Well, you, that's just it. They're not. They're not going to be held accountable because because we don't do anything about it. Nobody, we as exactly. the pe- we the people need to stand up and do something. Not one person. Not one hero who's going to come and save you. All of us need to stand up. That's right. And you know what? What's happened? I mean. It, sidebarring for a minute, but what you just said, there's not just one person. I, I feel like I mean, you could do a show on this. I feel like the, the over saturation in the last several decades of superhero movies and that culture, I feel like that was done on purpose because yes, financially it was successful for movie studios. However, we know that the movie studios are very, very heavily tied into the government. Mm-hmm. We know that the government has huge involvement there, uh-huh. and I feel like that that has slowly started to get people into that mentality of a hero will come and save us. If something happens, a hero will come and save us, because that's just human psychology. That's how it works. And not just that, but think about the dumbing down in our educational systems. Oh, if yeah. you're not home educating your kids, your kids are the majority of kids are now going to schools that are run by the state that... Well, they've always been run by the state. I know, I'm saying compared to private schools. Right. That the kids aren't even being told how to think, but what to think. They're being taught that things like they're being taught in things that are they're told is important, but really aren't. People are becoming mindless, just mindless sheep. Drones, sheep. Yeah, I was actually going to say drones and I'm like, is that going to transfer well? But it's like people just don't want to think for themselves. They don't want to do anything. And it's just like, yeah, let me do my social media and have fun and be silly. And it's like fun and silliness is great, but you got to work hard and you got to educate yourself and you got to learn what's right or wrong. You can't be told what's right or wrong. So I think that it's important that people start realizing you need to stand up for yourself. And once you stand up for yourself, then you can start standing up for others. And it's going to take all of us to do that. You're right. Everybody has to, to collectively, we all have to kind of come together and say enough. Yeah. We're not dealing with this. We're not doing this. We're not consenting to this before these people will back off. And, and, and you know, and I, I should rephrase it. They're never going to back off, but they need to know that this stuff is not going to be allowed. We're exactly. not going to, we're not going to tolerate it anymore. I think this is, yeah, again, a good place to stop. Okay. So we'll, we'll stop here. We're going to, this will be a, probably a, a yeah, two-parter, two-parter. We'll for sure. Because there's, there's more to talk about, yeah. even though it's going to anger me to no end. But until next time, again, be careful who you trust, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. That's that's the moral of the of the episode here. That's what we're trying to get across. Be careful who you trust. Usually those people that tell you to trust them are the ones you run away from as fast and as far away as you can. If somebody like has to, you know, like if somebody has to trust me, uh, it shouldn't have to be said. Exactly. But always go with your gut. Do your research. Go with your gut feeling. If you're getting that bad vibe from something, a situation or somebody, go with your gut. All right, then. Until next time, I am Alex, and I've been joined, as always, by my beautiful, lovely, gorgeous, amazing wife, the lovely Monique. And you've been listening to the Homewrecker Podcast.
Many people are unaware just how much hypnotherapy can help them or think it's only to help lose weight or quit smoking. But there is so much more hypnotherapy can do. It can help with stress, anxiety, insomnia, phobias, performance enhancement, connecting with your spirit guides and higher self. You can even discover past lives and your life between lives. Heal traumas, break habits, find your deepest truth, or just have fun discovering who you really are, all from the comfort of your home. I'm Monique Pliakis. I'm a certified hypnotherapist, and I want to help you. Schedule a free consult by going to www.innerstandingshypnosis.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G-S-H-Y-P-N-O-S-I-S.com. Understanding hypnosis. Find your power and ignite your inner light. We love hearing from and interacting with our hearers and watchers. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HomewreckerPod. You can also visit our website, HomewreckerPodcast.com, where you can check out past episodes and pick up some Homewrecker Podcast gear from our online store. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're hearing or watching our show. That way you can be notified whenever a new episode drops. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can check out the video versions of our show at YouTube and Brideon. You can also find Monique in a few places online as well. I'm on Twitter, at underscore Monique Giselle underscore. If you're interested in a tarot reading, organite, incense, candles, and other cool things, you can go to my website, tarotbymonique.com. Or if you're interested in hypnotherapy, you can go to innerstandingshypnosis.com to schedule a free 20-minute consult and follow me on Twitter, at Monique P-C-H-T. And Alex, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at TheAlexArion, and you can check out my website, alexarionfitness.com. And if that's too much to remember, we get it. That's why we put it all in our show notes. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we appreciate all of your support. We do. Thank you. We love you.